millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you F1 blogs, reviews, podcasts, and occasionally news. Today's episode is called They Talk Too. I'm your host, Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty well. How about yourself there, Spanners? Well, I'm a little bit nervous, Matt, because this week we are letting loose the writers from SpannersReady.com. Uh, it's always dangerous to let them out of their tiny little closets, isn't it? Well, it's a lose-lose for us, Matt, because if they're terrible, then we get a bad, terrible show. But if they're amazing, then they've proved what they've been saying all along, which is podcasting is for idiots who can't write. Although, technically, if they're successful at it, then are they not also idiots who can't write? Interesting. It's the puzzle within a puzzle. No, I think it just means that they're multi-talented and we're the morons <laughs> that need a microphone to, to get our point across. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but firstly, I'd just like to talk about some of the reaction we got to last week's show, because look, you go away for one week and we get a record number of angry emails and tweets. Honestly, this is why we can't have nice things. The moment I have to actually work on any given Sunday, you go and make a hash of the whole thing. But Matt, we got we got flat from both sides. So surely that means that A, we covered both sides and B, we need to think carefully if we're going to have an open and free debate can we handle the kind of tweets and emails that are going to make me cry because we did get accused of being too pro rosberg and also of of being anti-rosberg and of being anglo-centric so i don't know is, is that not a good sign does that not mean we covered all the bases well uh skipping the anglo-centric bit then yeah yeah i think it's usually a, it's oftentimes a good sign that you've done a good job covering a subject if nobody's entirely happy with what you've done or else it's a sign that you just simply didn't reach any real conclusion and just sort of mishmashed about. So I'm going to go for I'm going to go for column A on this one. You did a good job and, and you were fair in your coverage. And so <laughs> as a result, everyone was irritated. Yeah, good. Well, we, well I hope so, because obviously 
we are Anglo-centric because most of us are over here in the UK and uh, we've got a lot of Lewis Hamilton fans on the panel as well. But we did have, you know, we had big guns fighting the Rosberg corner. We had Jake Sanson and we had Chris Stevens. So it's not like the, oh, and Ryan as well. So it's not like the Rosberg side was massively outnumbered. No, no, it wasn't. You had you had people who were sort of on on both sides. And so everyone's viewpoint got aired. And, you know, as a show, you have to be careful about, I guess, reaching up firm conclusion about anything because you want you want everyone to feel like they've been represented in the debate that's that's one of the challenges i suspect okay matt and uh in the time between planning this and it going to air there was there was a bit of news there was a bit of driver market news uh, but believe it or not we have decided not to make it the focus of today's topic we are going to continue with what we wanted to do which is some key season reviews that the writers have brought along but we're gonna we are going to talk about it at the end but really, I mean, it doesn't change the story that much that he quit. Yes, it was sensational, but we know we, we covered a lot of his season already on the last episode. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, the, the issue with covering him quitting is, of course, well, he's quit. Story done. There we go. We've just covered it. it you're right. What? Yeah. You know, you can delve into this psychodrama all you want to, and we could spend ages doing that. But that's kind of pointless. The only really interesting thing now is what's going to happen next. And of course, we have zero data on what's going to happen next. So it's all going to be wild, uninformed speculation, which is fun, but hardly the thing to base a whole show on. No, not a whole show. But can we dedicate the last section to, to wild, baseless speculation? We are approaching the holidays, so your wish is therefore granted. Honestly, this story will be much more interesting when Mercedes announce a replacement driver. So definitely in the coming weeks, maybe we will do a, a show that heavily focuses on this topic. But I do feel that we need some Rosberg apologists on to counter me, you know, to say whether it was a super brave decision or whether, he's, you know, he's running away from a challenge, etc. And, and oh, honest- careful, careful, slippery slope. You're starting to talk about it. Did I? Oops. Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> so obviously people can probably guess where I am. But as a family man as well, I, I definitely have some sympathy f- for where he's coming from. Uh, but yeah, so to be super honest, we just don't have the Rosberg apologists. We are a super ham, focusy, heavy panel. So we're going to look away from Mercedes for the first chunk of the show. For those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by SpannersReady.com. We aim to bring you race reviews before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe work. No naughty words here. We're keeping it clean so you can play this with kids in the background or in the car or at work. Matthew, we have a different breed of guest on today. Yes, we have a dangerous and somewhat unkempt set of guests in our writers. Now, I will ask the listeners, forgive them. You know, they've not got their pro podcast setups on, but they are very, very well-informed people. So let's introduce, first of all, SpannersReady.com editor Stephen Williams. Hello. Hi, Spanners. How are you doing? Oh, it sounds like you're joining us from a telephone and you only bothered to check your setup today. That would be entirely true and Busted. very not well planned, is it, at all? Very rookie, rookie mistake. But what is well planned has been your stewardship in the second half of the year of SpannersReady.com. Uh, obviously, we've, we've used this year as kind of a, an open beta uh, to see, you know, in principle, can we get a group of good bloggers together with some informative and, and fun F1 opinions? How do you think we've done? Well, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? From a personal note, I just I was a fan of the sport for a long time. Come into this role as editor, and it's just been incredible. The amount of talent with our writers that we've got at the moment, the interaction that we get with the fans, interact with the articles as well. It really pleases me. 
and I'm sure it pleases you as well. Well, you know, we've got we've got a few duds in there, but some genuine writing talent as well. Uh, joining us next is from America land, another American. We're infested with them. It's Michael Cords. How's it going, Michael? It's going great. Good to be here, Spanners. And which bit of America land are you in? I am in Las Vegas. Ah, the dirty oh, bit. That's right. Home to, what, two U.S. Grand Prix? Yeah. Is it? Uh, yeah, 1982 and 83, I believe. Oh, before my time, Michael, before my time. <laughs> I do like your writing style, Michael, uh, since you've come to SpannersReady.com. You have uh, far more of like a, a novelistic uh, writing style. I really feel like you could write like a sto- like an F1 novel. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe uh, if this works out, I'll uh, get a little bit more experience and start pushing my novel on your on your uh, the, the website. Excellent. Oh, wow. Yeah, we could have a, you could <laughs> hey, release it. No, serial sorry. No can do. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. You have to wait until well after my wife's potential F1 novel is published. I genuinely forgot your wife was writing an F1 novel. Sorry, Matt. It's okay. Well, I'm here to remind you of these things. Uh, no, that's good. I'm really looking forward to that. And in fact, it's been quite interesting because Matt will occasionally uh, send, because uh, obviously Matt and his wife are American, they'll send us messages on the WhatsApp saying, guys, what's a good British phrase you know, for this? How would a British person say this? So in a way, we kind of co-wrote it. In a way. And rounding off the panel is a Goliath in the social media and writing world. It's Neil, aka Fortis. How's it going, Neil? I'm alright, man. What's up? Yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm wondering which Neil is going to turn up today because you have a reputation as a fiery, passionate uh, uh, a social media force. But when we met for a beer, you were the gentlest, calmest guy on earth. I was expecting fireworks, but you're massively chilled. I don't know. I just have that sort of personality, I guess. People see me and get scared. But I don't know. Today I'll try and be. I'll, I'll try be the gentle giant today. I keep it. I keep it quiet. And Giant is the right. Me and Matt have both met you and you are a gigantic human. Tell my mom, thanks. I'll tell her, I'll tell her you said that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it looks like we're already courting controversy, my friend. Why is that? From the live chat? Yep. And I, I hate to do this to someone who's new to the show, but Stephen is already being criticized for his camera work. Oh, right, because he uh, he is on a mobile device and that doesn't support group video. So, no, he's he's not just really stationary. That is, in fact, his profile picture. Anyway, All right, help but share that. let's move on. Let's talk about some F1 stuff. Okay, I invited each of the writers to bring us topics that they found most interesting through the season, and I'm glad that Stephen has picked this one to kick off with. Stephen, what are you talking about today? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Max Verstappen. Yeah, it really, Um, it's been his year, hasn't it? It's been the year of the Verstappen. It's just been incredible, really. I think he's 18, 19 years old, and just what he's achieved already, he's been in sport two years, one victory, is it around 10 podiums now? I've been really impressed by him. I don't know what you you guys think. If you want to share your stories on Max, it's very similar, isn't it, to when Lewis Hamilton turned up in two thousand and seven, and we were saying things like, "You're not supposed to overtake there. You're not meant to do that." And Max has had exactly the same reaction. You know, he's he's done things to make people go, "Oh, well, that's not on." Exactly. It, you, just sometimes he leaves you speechless. I remember uh, Silverstone, just the overtake on Rosberg around the outside through the maggots and beckets and you're thinking nobody does that you can't do that and he just doesn't goes and does it 
So that, that again, that's in the wet, isn't it, Matt? So we saw in Brazil as well, he was taking different lines to everybody else. What, what has he got in the wet that we're not seeing from other drivers? Well, he's got recent karting experience. For one, a lot of the lines he took, especially in Brazil, were what they call the karting lines, where, where you learn to go in the wet when you're in a car. But I think he has that same touch that we, we saw that Schumacher and Hamilton and other great drivers have, is they have an ability in the wet to feel the limits of the grip better than, than drivers who are perhaps more studied in their approach. Sorry, go on, Neil. Um, yeah, to, um, I, um, I can understand the, the Max side. I'm not against him. I think he's a damn good try, talent and possibly a future world champion. But in regards to the, the, um, the Rosberg overtake, both of those, both the one in Silverstone and in Brazil. Yeah. I don't know if actually people realize what happened that led to the overtake. Okay, good. Both, on both occasions, if you look at the one from Silverstone on his onboard, Rosberg actually made a mistake going through the S's and has actually nearly dropped it going through the S's. And as such, he was offline, which basically gave Max the run on him, which made it overtake a whole lot easier and a more, uh, uh, I'd say a whole lot easier. Wait. Brazil. So you Brazil. actually found a way to criticize Rosberg. Well, well done straight away. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I'm defending Rosberg. Here. I'm okay, not criticizing. Cool. Okay. I'm saying the overtake was aided by the fact that he actually, ah. you know, made, had he not made the mistake, I don't think Max would have actually attempted to pass him there in Silverstone. Brazil, it was the exact same thing again. If you look at it again from the, there was, um, the, the, the forward camera. Yeah showed him again actually the same thing happened and outside so in fairness to rosberg i don't think he actually i don't think i say he got bamboozled or ah, you know right. he actually contributed to that in some ways but i don't think had that not happened i don't think max would have made any of those overtakes on him personally. Right. that's just my opinion so a bit of a, a big deal made out of it steven yeah i, I agree with uh, fortis there that it was due to rosberg's car getting out of shape that led to Max having that chance. But he's, I think any other driver behind, even if they had that chance, they would not have gone for the overtake around the outside. Well, the, the thing is... Possibly a Lewis it, would, but yeah, it, it, someone else. <laughs> it's been happening, happening a lot, though, isn't it? You can attribute one or two to fortunate circumstances, but it, more often than not, he has been in the mix, hasn't he? Definitely. Um, I was going to say, do you think this is more down to the... The Red Bull, the chassis that they've got, that is contributing to his performance in the wet. Because we've seen Ricardo as well, would not been as effective in wet conditions. Well, you, a lot of times in wet conditions, it's also down to the tires and how the individual driver uses the tires. But I, I'm always a big fan, once everyone gets on the Verstappen bandwagon, uh, pointing out that Fiat managed a third in China. And it was what, third was that second, third race of the year? So it's nice to say, yeah, Verstappen's being brilliant, and clearly he's bringing it without fear, which is amazing. But you got to ask yourself, what would someone else have done with that same car? You know, and and I, as much as he's a genuine talent, he's also very much a product of media hype. I think it's both. Well, now if only we had an Australian in a similar car who was struggling in a high downforce car, because in Brazil. Uh, I know Ricciardo said perhaps he was struggling with his visor, 
But Ricciardo has not made the same impact, especially in the wet this season, as Verstappen has. You're right. He was terrible in Monaco. Oh, yeah. And that was wet as well. All right. Fine. So, okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So you think the media hype is is surrounding Max Verstappen. Stephen, they have been an amazing media machine, but also, I mean, a few slip-ups. Uh, there's been a couple of unguarded comments, you know, especially regarding, you know, F1 deaths that were crit- criticized by Jacques Villeneuve. So uh, just a bit of an experience there. Yeah, he's 19 years old and the amount of exposure he's had to the media already is quite mind-blowing. So you can understand sometimes, perhaps it's his personality at times, but he's quite forceful in some of his words, isn't he? Especially regarding the Jack Villeneuve incident. <laughs> let's go to let's go to Las Vegas, Michael Cords. Uh, how, how do you see the Verstappen family machine? Because it's you don't get into F1 and then promoted up to a top team just by being a good driver. There's got to be some cool stuff going on behind the scenes. Yes, certainly having his father be an ex F1 driver is a huge help. Uh, that said, you have to have the talent. There's other drivers whose kids. I'm looking at uh, uh, Prost and uh, Stewart. Uh, their children, they moved up, did well, had some talent, but couldn't actually make that last leap into F1. So uh, good on Max for doing it and doing it so young. Do you suspect that Kvyat's rather rather harsh punishment was anything to do with the Verstappen machine? Absolutely, yeah. Ooh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, because no uh, it was always, the writing was on the wall from very early on that Verstappen was going to get moved up to the Red Bull team. And uh, Kvyat, after uh, finishing on the podium, as we just talked about, okay, he ran into Vettel in Russia, and they used that as an excuse to kind of say, well, his head's not in the right place, we're going to take the pressure off him and move him back to the, the Toro Rosso team. Really, that was just, I think, some excuse to get Max into the top-line Red Bull team as quickly as possible. Okay, Stephen, let's talk about driving standards then, because he's come in and he's done stuff that people don't like. So particularly we're looking at Hungary and Belgium. Uh, Belgium, he was just trolling Kimi Raikkonen for the whole race. I'm struggling to remember quite what happened in, in Hungary, but let's assume it's moving in the braking zone. Uh, how, how do you feel he's impacted the racing, the racing philosophy of F1? Firstly, I love how you, you can't remember the incident in Hungary, but you presume exactly what was the case that he moved in the braking zone. <laughs> Score. It was a high probability hit. Exactly. Um, yeah, this is the point. Um, the thing is, for all these incidents, he was never, once was he punished or once was he investigated? So you sort of have to ask, why has a rule come in to, it's the anti-Verstappen rule, isn't it? That we, we can't move in a braking zone, we can't move on a straight. But if these, if he's not been punished for them, then why has the rule changed also? Yeah, it seemed like there was almost a gentleman's agreement, Matt, in years gone by that you're not allowed to move in the braking zone, but it was never written down. And this is one of my rants uh, this year that you've really enjoyed, uh, me ranting over and over again, that just let's just write all the rules down. Yeah, well, of course, you know, when you value something, it automatically is worth less. And similarly, when you take a standard of behavior and try to accurately define it in words, you immediately create loopholes. And the standard in the past was flexible, but there was a clear understanding, I would think, amongst the drivers that they wouldn't do anything that potentially would lead to injury or fatality. So you maybe you have some moving in the braking zone. Like I would say, for example, the move of Vettel on Ricciardo. You know, that's like borderline, but for someone who wants to be a champion, 
you're in with a shout because you're not. On the other hand, Verstappen's move on uh, and Spa is a clear example of something I don't think a driver would purposefully do to another driver in the old days. And he absolutely got, got away with it scot-free. And I think that that particular move is what led to a lot of re-examination because that could have been extremely ugly had had uh, Reagan had not been paying attention. Stephen? Yeah, the Reichen incident in Belgium, that was one of those moments where you saw it happening and it was just so quick. And like you took a step back from the TV because you immediately think that Reichen is going into the back of Verstappen. He's going to roll sort of like Mark Webber did in Valencia. And it's just so frightening to watch. I couldn't, I could barely watch it myself. Okay, look, okay then. But there's no doubt that he's come in, he's made a splash. Media hype or, or any, or, or, or otherwise, he is now a big feature in F1 and he's a big name driver. Neil, I know you're, you're not that impressed, but overall, come on, the Verstappen effect, he's been amazing for F1. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm definitely impressed with him, but I think the current, um, comparisons like for instance it's driving brazil everyone's like oh that's up there with the drive with the with the likes of senna or yeah, at donington or schumacher and you like are you having a laugh come on look at this the, i can understand you know what he did but you also have to factor in the, the um the situation at the time he was on brand new tires the cars he overtook were cars he supposed to overtake you know what i mean it's not like he overtook a Mercedes. He overtook, uh, what was it? Um, some Force Indias. Sabers, some, some Force yeah. Indias. Some, that red team. What's that red team? The one that, that's across, that, from that country that looks like a boot? Or, oh, yeah, the, the Ferraris. And we'll get to those, were car, those were cars he was supposed to overtake. So yeah. it's not like he came up and he was on fresh tyres. Yeah. Now, had it not had he had he been on had it not been on fresh tires and he was on board and he'd done that, then you'd be like, Well, yeah, then that is like one of those drives that you can say is up there with one of the best. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not taking away from his talent or his impact on the sport. I just think there needs to be a sense, um Caution. a level of yeah. calm yeah. approach. It's just too much and it's in your face. Now he's being touted as the best driver on the grid, and you're like are you are you are you actually serious, or is that supposed to be a joke? But but then the, the same hype came with Lewis Hamilton, and it was true. He is the best driver on the grid. But anyway. <laughs> you you have to look at the Lewis situation in a separate light compared to Max, because Max had a year's experience in the Toro Rosso. Then he moved up to the, the senior team. Lewis came in on the back of well, who's my teammate? The current double world champion. So that's a far that's a that that in itself is a bigger challenge yeah. to Max. Okay. So he had to come in and you, cause you have to remember how he feel in that 2000 season against McLaren? Had he been completely destroyed? That could have ruined his career before he even started. Yep. Okay. So, but going back to Max briefly, I, I sympathize with what you're saying. It, it, there is a lot of hype around it. However, however, and because I wasn't convinced to start with, there's now a, a growing body of evidence. When these chances come along, he is taking them. And we look at Spain as well. You could say, oh, well, in Spain, it was just because 
Um, he happened to get the better strategy. He happened to get the number two strategy, which just happened to work out. And Raikkonen behind him as well, a car that hasn't overtaken anyone since 1746, behind him to follow him all the way home. And of course, Mercedes cars took each other out. But there's now a growing body, body of evidence. And you give him half a chance and he's, he's going to get there. Okay, we're going to go to Ferrari next, Matt. But what are the chat rooms saying about Kvyat before we go there? Oh, well, I, you caught me in the midst of typing, my friend. Uh, on the gas is thoroughly disagreeing with me about Fiat, saying that the reason he was moved on is because Helmut Marco said he was slow in pace compared to Ricardo in China, which he finished on the podium in China, correct? Uh, and, yeah. and my point was that, especially if you're looking at China, he would have suffered uh, some loss of, of downforce as a result of his collision with Vettel at the beginning. And finishing on the podium demonstrates that one can finish on the podium. Not every driver in that position, <clears throat> Nick Heidfeld, can manage to pull off such a thing. Okay, so we've got someone in the chat room called, uh, my eyes are failing me. Um, on the gas. No, Baha uh, Motamat. Sorry, I'm having to strain. He's saying Fortis for King. So I'm, t- I'm assuming he agrees with you there. Uh, apart from the caveat stuff, we have got people saying that Signs is just as good but it's just the media that is the difference. That's James Fennell that's saying that. Okay, last word, Stephen, last word on Verstappen. Sum it up. I was just going to come back to your point about the win in Spain. Now, obviously, he was very fortunate with the Mercedes drivers taking each other out, but the way his maturity for such a young age to hold off Raikkonen, although people say Raikkonen's past it, it's too old, he shouldn't be in Ferrari, um, but he said the reason I won that race was because I knew how the Ferrari battery pack worked or the power unit. I knew where Raikkonen was going to be quick. So that just shows great maturity, I think, for a 19-year-old. I think even Lewis at that age would not have had that same understanding when he came into the sport. So you're a fan? Yes. Good. Stephen Williams, <laughs> a fan of Max Verstappen. Let's move on from the heights of the F1 season to, well, not the heights. Let's bathe in the reflected glory of Michael Cords in Las Vegas. I cannot tell you how glamorous that seems from a cold, frosty day in south-central Bedfordshire. Uh, wow, I think I would swap. Do you, do you just spend all day, every day in shorts and t-shirts sipping mojitas? It's, it's close, yes. <laughs> uh, immediately after the podcast, I'm going to go down, sit by the pool, have a nice drink and soak in the sun. So people on the live streams benefit. Behind you, whose helmets are they that you have got on display? Uh, ah, okay. Uh, one of them is mine, my current helmet. Ooh. Uh, my old karting helmet. And then just a, an Alain Prost. It's, a, 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 it's not a real helmet. It's not rated for actual driving or smashing your head into things. It's just for looking cool. And what do you wear your helmet to do? I'm looking at it. It's like an open face. Uh, Tell me it's not motorbikes, Michael Cord. No. Phew. <laughs> No, it, I, I switched out because the last time I used the helmet, I was driving a, a tin top Audi. Uh, I do high performance driving courses. I've done the Skip Barber uh, regional racing, but uh, someone of my size, just so you know, I'm a little under two meters tall. It's hard to fit into a single seater, but I have. What the hell is two meters tall? Speak English. <laughs> Six foot five inches. Right. So you're how tall are you, Neil? Hold on. Yeah, I'm about six three, six four. Yeah, and so two giant men on the podcast. I too, I'm also a large man. 
No, I'm not. It's not. It's not true. What? <laughs> wow. Uh, I think they prefer to be called small people. Oh, uh, but, dear. So, so we'll, we'll just go with that. Apologies to any small people listening. Michael, what subject are you bringing to us? I'm here to talk about Ferrari. I'm here to talk about their dismal year. Now, it seems a little strange to call third place in the Constructors' Championship dismal, but uh, it really was. It it definitely fell short of their expectations for this year. Especially coming off the back of last season, where they were the de facto challenge, really, to Mercedes. That's it, exactly. They they won three races last year, uh, had a good winter where... Testing seemed to go well. Uh, James Allison seemed to have dialed out some of the handling issues that was affecting particularly Kimi. So they started the year with high hopes to be the challengers for Mercedes. And how did they finish? They were well and truly overtaken by Red Bull. Yep. Uh, didn't win a single race and were really starting to get put under pressure from Force India of all teams. It's bad, isn't it? Now, there's a two-pronged attack on failure that they took. Uh, One was they seemed to just develop down a strange path, all sorts of things going on with the staff at Maranello. Uh, And on the other side of things, just on race day, they were woeful. I mean, which one do you want to start on? Oh, it's hard to say. Good question. Let's see. I'd say in races, uh, I made a couple notes just looking back. It's hard to remember all the times that I thought, excuse me, it's hard to remember all the times that I thought, nope, They've done it wrong. They haven't called the pitted at the right time. And it really seemed that it affected Kimi Raikkonen more than Vettel. And I think it's because Kimi seemed to be a little bit of an afterthought uh, regarding the strategy, regardless if he was in front of Vettel or not. It, it, right from Australia, wasn't it? Didn't they? Wasn't, was this the season where they basically used Kimi to, I can't remember what they did. They ran him long, basically, so that people couldn't cover off Vettel. And from, from <laughs> right from that moment, you're like, wow, they don't care about Kimi at all. I think that's true. They've uh, had a couple other races. I wrote down a, the night race at St. Singapore, where... Oh, they, oh, let me sound clever. They missed the undercut. Yes. They missed the undercut, didn't they? Basically? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. That that third stop, uh, he was running, I think, in, in place for a podium. And afterward, in hindsight, it was clear, why did you stop him then? And uh, I think Ferrari realized it because at that race and several others, their press conference uh, had quite a bit of talk about, oh, well, don't criticize our, our, the, the strategy we had. We were making the right call. And if you say that too often... You know, perhaps you've done something wrong. Another one was uh, Austria for Kimi. He was running, uh, I believe, as high as second place. And again, an ill-timed call, he was undercut by both of the the Red Bulls, and it just seemed completely pointless. Matt, it's a a heavy charge, and lots and lots of incidents. It's hard to deny, isn't it? Well, it, it is hard to deny, and it's clear that in almost every race, Kimmy is run as Ferrari's insurance policy, regardless of how he qualifies. So the strategy is always designed around putting Vettel into contention for the highest possible spot. And Kimmy simply used to cover off whatever eventuality they think they might not notice on the actual day of the race. So it's sort of like it's a version of the Red Bull strategy where they're quite happy to split strategies, except Ferrari will go out of their way to make sure that Vettel's getting good. But but then again, Vettel hasn't really performed enough to leap on it, Michael, has it? Have they? So had he been at the top of his game, the top of his form, he might have been able to take, to take advantage. But he himself has not really been on fire. That's absolutely right. Uh, the start of the year started out good. Everything seemed fine. Uh, I went back and looked at the beginning of the year and think about this. Uh, through Spain, which was round five, 
there was a Ferrari on the podium at each race. Uh, in fact, up through the first nine races, Ferrari had nine podiums. In the remaining 12 races, they only had two. So there was a huge drop-off throughout the year. And you saw this in Vettel, not only in the way he drove, but I think part of his attitude. We saw quite a bit of the radio communications with his team where he just seemed so frustrated and didn't have that same uh, carefree attitude that Vettel always had when he was romping to four world championships with the Red Bull team. Matt, before we go to Neil, there's a great comment in the chat room. Yeah, yeah. Blackout 19, who who might be in for a comment of the week at this point, I have to say. Reliance on the Magic 8 ball for pit calls didn't help. Should I box? Chances aren't good. Sorry, Kimmy. <laughs> Neil, what have you made of Ferrari this year? Oh, man, where do you want to start? I mean, I remember at the start of the year, Australia being the Australia, everyone was saying, well, Ferrari have actually closed the gap to Mercedes and will be the team to challenge them. But I disagree straight away. And I based that on what I saw in the race. Now, if you remember the race properly, Kim, um, after the uh, the red flag, I remember um, the pit stops and they sent um, Seb out, I think it was on the soft, the red mark tires and Rosberg on the, the, I think it was the medium or the option tire. Vettel didn't pull a gap bigger than four seconds. And if and I remember the delta between those tires were I think about half a second per lap, but he pulled no more than about four seconds. And I was like, well, have they actually improved that much that they've actually closed the gap to for, to to the Mercedes? And then you you eventually that you just start seeing a drop dropping off race by race. On a Friday, they look impressive as hell. Long run pace, everyone's like, well, are the well the Ferraris. Ferraris are in contention for the race, but then come race day, it's either well, like what's his name? Blackout nineteen says they turn to the magic eight ball and go, "What should we do next?" It's like they've got no clue. And then, you know, it, it's kind of it's the, when you look at it, it's kind of like it's it's probably one of the worst. Um, how do you say drop offs I've seen in a long time? It's it's for a team. it's McLaren twenty thirteen esque, isn't it? Ugh. Well, you can call it, yeah. But I think 2013, I personally, I'd probably say 2013 was better than this year for Ferrari because <laughs> at least, you know what I mean, they, 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 you know you know what you were getting. But this year, they thought they genuinely had a chance. But then from the from the first, as Michael said, they wanted to put them nine out of the first, nine of the first nine races. Then afterwards, they were just basically disappear. Yeah. Um, did, did any, they've never, they didn't even qualify in the front row of one single race this year. I don't not once. think so. No, yeah, you're right. Not one front row they got this year, yeah. which is kind of strange. Considering that Lewis was barely on the front row himself, you'd, you'd think they'd want to be front and centre. So let me have Who's another... Lewis? Huh? Who's Lewis? Lewis Hamilton. He's a F1 racing is. driver. Oh, I don't know who that is. You're not is. going to comment on today. You're not going to be drawn on Lewis today. Uh, very stoic of you. Okay, let me try this again. Baha Mat Lamat in the chat room says, lol, thanks for slaughtering my username spanners. My girlfriend is dying of laughter. And then the next comment by a, a Matt Trumpets says, names are a weak point. Yes, we we know this. We understand names. I try my best. I try my best, I swear. Uh, Stephen, some comments on Ferrari. Yeah, I just wanted to make a point about the race in Abu Dhabi because people were saying that it was a fantastic strategy from Ferrari to get them the podium. But I couldn't help just think this would not have happened had 
Lewis not been driving really slowly and backing Nico into yeah, Sapphire, of course it wouldn't yeah. into everyone coming. So I'm not sure why they were so surprised and so happy that they got the podium. Great. Well, I actually I have a question for Michael since you're you're talking about Ferrari. I, I'm I'm wondering whether you think that it's a question of Renault having caught up Ferrari in the engine game, or whether we're seeing the effects either of Allison's ill-planned car from the beginning or from his loss early on in the season hampering Ferrari the most? It's probably a little bit of both, although I think that the loss of James Allison this year had a big impact on Ferrari. Uh, The last couple of years have been very unstable for them, and to have your chief technical person leave is a big disruption in the team. It affects everything from not only the way the engineering team operates to prepare the cars, but just the general feeling within the team where nobody knows what's going to happen next or who's going to be fired next. And in the chat room, James Funnel says the best thing was in Germany when Ferrari tried to undercut the Red Bull. Uh, I remember this. The Red Bull was a long way in front and Vettel replied, undercut whom? So, yes, obviously, we're going to go on to their organizational problems. But just tactically, tactically, they have seemed absolutely clueless. So do you think is there a, is there is there something fundamentally wrong with the way they make their calls or a personality that makes their calls? That's a good question. I'd really like to uh, know. Uh, Definitely the relationship between a driver and his engineer is very important. Uh, When Vettel was at Red Bull, he had uh, Rocky, who he seemed to really get on with. I don't know how he feels about his engineers uh, at at the the Ferrari team now, but what it seems is there's not that close personal relationship where he feels that they trust each other and they can operate at their best. Yeah, well, what? could it not also be that the, that the problem is just simply farther up the food chain? I mean, you know, the, the strategy calls don't come from the race engineers. The race engineers interpret the driver's comments into, into setup changes on the car and then help them with strategy decisions on the day. Um, but to me, if I look at it, I, I would almost think that the problem is, is further up the food chain with Ferrari strategists. And and just in general with their organization, I mean, you know, we've seen Marchioni in there with with the weed whacker going after uh, the hierarchy and trying to flatten things. I mean, is that really where the trouble's coming from? Yeah, I think so. There's been a lot of rumors this year that those at Ferrari are all a little bit nervous. When you see in the last few years, Luca Dittimantazemolo has gone. Um, what Stefano Domenicali has gone it kind of puts this per pervasive fear within the team. And uh, it's got to be a little bit frustrating for everyone. So definitely what Ferrari needs is clear, stable leadership at the top. Uh, and it's interesting to look, when Vettel came to, uh, to, uh, to, to the uh, team, in my mind, it's almost like a, a siren song, Ferrari is, and that they lure drivers in. <laughs> That's and- fantastic. <laughs> So what's happening is they're luring him in and saying, Vettel, come to come here and you'll you'll be covered in glory and victories and you'll do what Alonso couldn't do. And last year it seemed great. Everything was on track. And this year he's been drugged down to a watery grave, it seems. Uh, it's just uh, difficult, I think, for everyone all around. Um, what Vettel wanted to do uh, was basically emulate his hero, Michael Schumacher, and have that success at, at, at Ferrari. Uh, what Vettel did not do 
which Schumacher did, was bring his successful team with him. And it's interesting to me that the most stable and successful period of that time was when you had a proven team that were transferred into uh, to the Italian team. Okay, I'll mute it. Um, <laughs> uh, if you remember early in the year, I wrote an article about Ferrari. I was titled What's Gone Wrong at, I think, that Gone Ferrari, and that's the name of it. That's a good title. Um, one of the conclusions. Huh? It's a good title. For the subject, yeah. 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 Um, my f- final conclusion was basically Ferrari's problem is basically Marchioni because he has walked in and he ex- and he's basically said, well, you're going to have to win straight away. I don't want to hear no excuses because I'm giving you all the, because if, if, if I remember correctly, they've actually, he's actually released more funds for budget. And he basically said, well, you need to give me wins right away. The start of the year, he he said Ferrari was going to win the first race of the season. They screwed that one up. And I, I can't remember which was the next race. He turned up again and said, well, I need another win. And they screwed up on that very race weekend as well. Now, my question to you, Michael, is I, we spoke about it before we came on, is, as you said, Vettel went to Ferrari to basically mimic Schumacher. What, if he doesn't succeed, Right, and Alonso said it. Unless he wins a title at Ferrari, he's basically failed. He hasn't done any better than me. So, how would this reflect on Vettel if he's not successful at Ferrari? Michael, interesting. I think Vettel's uh, his legacy is pretty well intact with four world championships, but there is something different about doing it uh, at another team. And certainly it was his dream to go in there and win and succeed where Alonso couldn't and sort of establish himself as just that elite top tier legend. Uh, so I think it will definitely. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Probably be considered a big disappointment and failure to some extent if he, he doesn't win. Uh, at the very least, where he needs to be now is winning races and challenging for the championship. If he could have a season like Alonso did, uh, say, in 2012, I think that would give him a lot of confidence and would be a good step forward. Okay, well, I didn't plan this, but what we've actually done is gone from Red Bull to Ferrari, and now we're going to move along to Force India. Neil, big bad Neil. It's been a good season for Force India. Finished fourth place, pound for pound, pretty good. Actually, I personally, I gave them the team of the season. I mean, when you look, especially when you look at what they've got to work with, you know, they've not got the biggest budget or the biggest sort of facilities. But if you work it out um, in terms of points per um, points per spend, points they've per actually, dollar, yeah, they've got they've got a better return on invest compared to anyone else, and all of that stems from what 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 Ferrari doesn't have. A good man at the top and that's Bob Fernley you know he's one of them people a lot of people don't he's a lot of people probably doesn't I'd say give him the respect or the um the the push to the limelight that he actually deserves but since he's been at Force India that team basically has gotten better and better compared to its competitors I looked at the stats since 2008 they've actually only ever failed to improve on the, improve they've never actually finished lower i think they've actually twice if i remember correctly they finished they finished sixth and then they finished seventh but yeah. they've actually kept on going up year by year sixth 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 seventh sixth and they finished fourth this year and to beat williams yeah. as well oh yeah uh, but matt they've had a reputation in recent years of being the team that can start well but then fail to develop but but here mid-season we saw good aero development coming through and that's probably been the difference that's got them up to fourth place yeah well i think what you see very clearly with force india is that they pay attention to their money and how they spend it better than any other team on the grid and if you were to take my suggestion and give the constructors championship to the team that scored the most points with the least amount of money i don't agree with that but i'll come back to come back to it they would be hands down favorites to win they are so clever when they mm. see what they see where their budget bubble is going to be, when the money is going to be there. They spend it, they spend it wisely, and they make the most of their advantage. They stretch it when they need to, and they save it for when the other teams are going to be most vulnerable. Fernley is a genius, and I can only imagine what's going to happen when and if uh, VJ Malia is eventually dragged off to India for not paying his bills, and 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 and, yeah. and, and uh, someone someone with actual ability to pump money into the team takes over see my question is though does it scale does it scale so there's um you know you have football managers that are good at doing the best they can with limited resources bringing youth players in as part of a team having a good system you go and give them a budget at real madrid and they can't necessarily put together a superstar budget so you know will big bad bob if he gets given a mercedes budget will, will he be able to would he be able to scale that up with the logistics uh, to 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 take on the very top teams. 
I don't think it's just about managing the, the, the finances. It's about putting the right people in the right places and getting them to, to work as a cohesive unit. And I don't, and I think, you know, as Michael said, as we, we talked about Ferrari, I, that seems to be the problem with Ferrari that Force India isn't having. They've got people, clever people in areas that do the, do the job properly for them. So it's not, I don't think it's about just, just so much finances, but it's just to get the whole a la Ross Brown. Well, the chat room again is saying, someone pay this man. He speaks the truth. To be clear, there is no payment. Paul Wright in the chat room says, Force India don't pay as much attention to the traditional development cycles that other teams stick to. Any truth in that, anyone? I, I think so. Because if you look, most teams, they bring they bring major updates at races like Spain, um, Spa, and if I'm not mistaken, Monza. And I don't think, I, I don't think Force India brought a really big upgrade package to this year. They've actually, what they've actually done, they've actually fed out equally over the year. Michael. Instead of like yeah. concentrating like, yeah. Sorry, mate. Michael, oh, <laughs> Force, I just wanted to find out if Force India impresses Michael because, you know, he's, he's spoken up on Ferrari not impressing him. Maybe no one impresses him. Force India. <laughs> Definitely impressed by, by Force India. I completely agree with the amount of money that they have uh, in, in, in the team and what they've achieved is extremely impressive. What I want to know, uh, get some of your opinions, is if it's not strictly money, uh, if if it's not just the budget that they have, how do they make that next step? Yeah. They haven't won a race. Uh, how do they get up there to where they're challenging on the podium and winning races? So, that, so I'll just put that question to Matt Trumpets as well. Along with that, do you see them as the Red Bull, you've got a visionary top down, or do you see them more as Mercedes, which is like a project management team where they logistic their way to performance? Hmm. I don't think they have a singular genius, or if they did, I'd have to say it's really firmly, and I put him more in the brawn camp of how he does things. I think he inspires, I think he hires really good people, he inspires them to do the best, and he creates an atmosphere where they are comfortable taking the chances you need to take to succeed with the budget that they have. And last of all, he's brilliant with the budget spreadsheet. He looks at, I think he just looks at, where and how the money's coming. And I think he's willing to make the most when he has to stretch. And he's he's willing to spend the money when it's there to be spent and when it's going to be most advantageous for their team. He doesn't really care what other people think. Also, you also have to look at the drivers that they've choose, chosen as well. That has also been crucial to the team. Um, they've not really... Uh, if I'm... To be honest, I think probably the worst driver they've actually ever had was Luizzi. But if you look prior to that, they've actually had some very good time. And probably Paul DeResta would talk this way of a, of a drive, which kind of, that I don't know. But they've actually um, chosen well when it comes to driver lineup. Um, Perez, no. I'm a fan. That, I'm a big fan of Perez. I'm a big fan of Perez. I think the move to McLaren, I think McLaren was too were too quick to drop him. And because when he turned up at McLaren, he showed was it Bahrain? Where he gave Jensen a really hard time. He was Jensen shoving was him around. Really like, Can you tell this guy to and you Stop like, racing me? Stop racing exactly. me. So and you look at his performance this year at Baku. Now 
I don't care what you want to say. I know Lewis was having whatever derail issues, but he's still driving a Mercedes for heaven's sakes. And he couldn't get close to him. So he now and he has put in and he has actually shown up Hulkenberg. Now I'm probably gonna get a lot of stick for this. I'm talking about Ford Senior, but I'm not really a big fan of Hulkenberg. No. I'm not really a big <laughs> fan of Hulkenberg. I think I think he has came he has gotten a lot of hype, but he has not actually produced the goods. I mean, every one of his teammates has secured podiums except him. Yeah, I just admit it. You're just still bitter that he took Lewis out in Brazil. <laughs> that was a hell of a From move. The, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I, I don't nah. think. <laughs> I don't think anyone's saying that Hulkenberg's a, a a poor driver. He's he's had his moments. He's had some fantastic races. But when the opportunities have come, time and time again, it's Perez that is there in the position. And it's not a massive fluke. It's not that they were the only races that Perez was good. It's that Perez is just consistently that little bit better. So he's he's there to... Michael, do you want to talk? Because you're nodding, and I love when people agree with me. <laughs> uh, I was just thinking the, the very same thing, is I think uh, Hulkenberg is very, very good, talented driver, but he's starting to fall into that Nick Heidfeld role, where he's a solid driver, he can get points, but he's not going to be that guy to push that extra step. Uh, I think he lost out. He was overshadowed by his teammate this year. Trumpets. I just, I just want to say, I mean, I'm going to throw it out there that although it's not formula one, he did kind of get a podium in Le Mans the only time he raced there. Yeah. But there's like what, 14 other people in that team who knows, maybe he dragged them down. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't, yeah, two, whatever. I don't know how tin tops work. Come on. All right, yeah, Force India, great job all round. I, I do, I fear whether they would have the procedures and the infrastructure to scale that up, but I don't think anyone can doubt that basically they've won the privateer championship, haven't they? And it's been a fantastic season. What are Williams up to? You know, let's see what Williams do when they've got their Lance Stroll billions. Uh, but let's let's move on. Speaking of rookies... bit of american music to make michael and matt feel at home so let's talk about rookies so let's uh, let's go let's go between Stephen and michael here how do you feel the rookies or the relatively new drivers have performed Stephen? who stand out for you personally i'd say all the rookies have done a brilliant job to be honest there's not been a year that i can remember when we've had three i think it's three rookies palmer verline and ocon yeah, but you've you've have, got to talk about Palmer in in you've got to split Palmer, haven't you? You've got to talk about first half of the season Palmer and second half of the season Palmer. Well, Palmer's an interesting story because the first race in Australia, he was fighting with uh, Verstappen and Sainz for a long time. He was side by side with Bottas and Alonso, and he looked the real deal in that first race. But then it just went missing for the rest of the first half of the season. He had that opportunity in Hungary to score his first points and he spun. And already his team at Magnussen had been scoring some points throughout the year, especially in Russia. He scored quite a few points to really well there. Yeah, we, we really thought that that was game over. When he, when he spun in Hungary, you kind of thought, oh, come on, you know, it's, it's one too many. And, you know, obviously in the end, he's gotten his contract. But do you feel that maybe he's gotten that on de- at, uh, sorry, by default in a way because they couldn't agree terms with Magnussen? Yeah, he's sort of the last choice, but it isn't a bad choice at all. I think in the future he's he's going to come come good. Um, his throughout his um, junior career, it's taken him a while to adapt 
And I think we've seen that this year. If we say the first half was the bad side, the second half was really good, excluding running into the back of science in Abu Dhabi. Now, but you see, we 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 want we're desperate for Palmer to be good because he's a homegrown talent, and uh, obviously his relationship with Jonathan Palmer, so he's a protege driver. Uh, the Palmer family have a, a lot of influence over young drivers. You know, they do a lot for motorsport in the UK. So we're tainted. We're sort of we're all collectively willing him on. Uh, but how do people like Michael and Matt feel? How does Palmer come across to the non-angler anglophile people? I was definitely uh, impressed with the latter part of, of the year. I didn't have a whole lot of expectations, I guess. I thought certainly he'll go up against uh, uh, Kevin and, you know, who's an, a little more experienced driver who's been in a top team. And I thought he would struggle. And I was pretty impressed that when we got to toward the end of the year, that during the races, you look for the, for the Renault and oftentimes it was Palmer that was in front. And I found that a bit uh, uh unexpected yeah you know i gotta say his very first race out in australia i was really impressed with like his wheel to wheel he had a big fight with somebody i can't remember who it was and i was like oh look at that he might actually be something and then i was just thoroughly thoroughly underwhelmed with him and then you know he kind of came in for a, a, a bit of redemption at the end of the year so at, at at best you know i would be like well you know certainly you know He's the equal of Ericsson, who is managing the same Formula One. So you can't argue that he doesn't belong to be there at all. My goldfish is the measure of Ericsson. <laughs> but um, the chat room seemed to be chiming in on this issue as well, in that uh, Bahamut Tiamat thinks that Palmer is clearly the goat. And I think that might be sarcastic. And on the gas is... Uh, pretty much rubbishing him all together. And James Funnels just chipped in with, I think he's just a slow learner, unlike other rookies. Well, luckily then, if that is the case, if it takes him a little while to adapt to a series, was it four seasons for GP2? Then he's he's lucky, man. He's, he's lucked in to getting this chance to, to show a second season. And I think, I think, though, two seasons is probably enough to get a sighter on him. Don't you think, Matt? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, usually in Formula One, it's a one and done. But he apparently did just enough to edge out Magnuson or possibly his sponsorship was more attractive. One never really knows. No. And 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 he's he's going to um he's gonna get a chance next year to show us what he's really got. So I I believe, and I might be wrong here, and we can speculate, can't we? I don't sue me anyone, that Palmer brings eight million pounds for his seat, which I believe is the same as what Magnuson brings with his Danish fashion firm money so i think there's nothing in it in that regard they probably went with magnuson first on reputation couldn't agree a contract but if you want magnuson i I honestly don't think palmer has been savagely beaten by magnuson neil oh i just wanted to say you know i actually met palmer once Ooh, was he nice yeah he was all right but still don't mean i'm not gonna bash him anyway but (laughs) personally i don't think he did enough to keep his seat in formula one this for next season Honestly, I mean, he has made some, yeah, some rookie. Uh, well, yeah, well, he's, he's a rookie. He's a yeah. rookie, but come on, <laughs> that's that's beyond rookie mistakes. I yeah. I don't know. I, I think what it is, I think he was a he. he Renault just kept him because they thought, well, we can't get anyone else because it it was clearly apparent that they probably wasn't going. Ocon was not going to go to Renault, so they just went. 
Okay, then his dad is got his dad. Oh, by the way, um, that's his dad. Spanners, not a relative. All right. You said is you said is you call his yeah. Is, that's is his a dad, dad not a relative? I, I think I, well, I feel you know related I mean. to my dad. But I think I think his I think they just chumped up the money. You know the ex and I, I personally I think they probably threw threw in a proper uh couple million more than the standard eight million because why yeah why what there's better options out there than than him. So why keep him? Uh, do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised, Mr. Trumpets, if the price did increase, seeing as his original contract was with Lotus and now Renault is, according to everybody else, a better prospect. Well, of course it is because it's going to be a works team. But here's the thing to consider, too. When you're talking about choosing between Magnuson and Palmer, does everybody remember when Toro Rosso got rid of Aljaswari and Buemi at the same time? Yeah. And one of the issues for a team is, if you're changing the cars and you're changing both drivers, you no longer have a benchmark. You don't have someone who drove last year's car and can tell you how oh, it cares. So in the absence of Magnuson, you really, Palmer's stock increased massively. So then then again, well, we'll never know the details of the finances, but it's certainly an interesting point. Okay, uh, Stephen, I know you've got another uh, rookie slash new driver and so has Michael. So let's quickly go through them and then we'll go to our podium section. Yeah, so I was going to look at Verline and Ocon. Ooh, yes. And they, I think they're very similar, to be honest. Obviously, Ocon came in halfway through the season, and I think he's done a brilliant job. Because if you look at Kvyat, he's gone from Red Bull to Toroso mid-season, mm-hmm. and it took him a very long time to adapt. Whereas Ocon came in, I think he qualified behind Verline in Belgium, and again in Italy. But since then, he's really come on strong, especially that race in Brazil. I think he was running in the points till the last lap. So it's a little bit, uh, I'd say, disappointing that he didn't get those points because it meant that Mana finished behind Sauber. So I have to admit, I've sort of lost track of that battle. But out of those two youngsters, who do you think's had the better half of the season, notwithstanding that Ocon came into it raw? Just, just you know, straight fact, who did better? I think you have to say it's going to be Ocon because he's the driver that's moving on straight away. He's the one that's gone to Force India for next year. Unless... It's, they've overlooked. Yeah, <laughs> but unless they knew that there was going to be a seat coming up. Oh, conspiracy. Oh, conspiracy. <laughs> but on the face of it, you felt that, yeah, they were looking to promote a driver to Force India and Ocon deserved it. Because that, that's harsh on, on Verline, who has impressed people. I agree. He scored those points in Austria. But then there were quite a few mistakes. If you look at that crash in China qualifying, was he the only one to crash on the damp patch? Um, oh, yeah, he was. And because DRS was open, wasn't it? And uh, and he was the f- first one. To be fair, he made that mistake. And then everybody else after that closed their DRS until they got past it. So, you know, it's a, a bit harsh on him to sort of expect him to have the savvy to tip up to that a river on the start finish straight uh, and be able to deal with it. Neil, quick one from you before we go to Michael. Well, uh, and let's not forget, um, was it Austin where he beached the car and he kept telling him switch the car off, mm. and he kept like, "I'm gonna try and get it. I'm gonna try and get it out." And I know it better. was about four different messages until the I think what's his name, um, Dave Ryan came on the the, the blue on like switch the car off now, and I think it was after that um, the Ocon deal was announced because and even on the 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 broadcasts i was watching on sky they alluded to that actually he's not very light in the paddock 
Oh, by really? many of the team, oh, by, by many of the team bosses, they re- they report that he's actually many of the team bosses don't really aren't that impressed with him, and apparently he has a very nasty attitude. Something that was also mentioned during his touring um, DTM days. So that could have been one of the reasons why he didn't get promoted to the the um, the, the Force, Force Indian Indian which is kind of strange because. Ocon just came in and did probably, what was it, two or three races? And he's off to Force India. And Verlaine's been there for most of the season. And he wasn't even that impressive against Arianto as well. So, No, okay. And, and oh, yeah. chat room, no, Tinfoil Hat has not been activated. They are, they are here patiently by the side of us for when we really need them coming up soon. Uh, some people are saying it's possibly Maldonado wearing a mask. Who are they talking about there? Not Palmer, surely. No, I think I think that's I think that's harsh. I think that's harsh. I'm I'm willing to give Palmer an, another season uh, to to see if he can really do it for Britain. We've got a fine tradition of British racing car drivers, and I don't see why Palmer can't at least get up to Jensenish standards. I really don't. Uh, I don't see why he can't occupy that that um, that place in the British F1 mentality. Michael, who's your newbie? Who's your newbie that's impressed you this year? Well, initially, uh, I was had some very good uh, thoughts about uh, Pascal Verline uh, because in qualifying he had moved up what a couple times into Q two. Yeah, that's impressive. Very impressive with the, with the the uh, the Manor car, and even though I disagree a little bit with what Fortis said, I think he was handling Harianto fairly well. Uh, but when when Ocon came in, I thought a. Uh, he did step it up a little bit because I do think Ocon came in with, uh, I don't want to say a little bit more hype, but he does kind of have that. I beat Verstappen at F3 factor behind him. So, uh, Ocon was definitely coming in with this, uh, sign above his head that everyone's watching. And I think it's difficult to come in halfway through the year and get up the speed and the way he, he did that. And I know I'm kind of switching out from Berlin to, to, uh, to, uh, Ocon. We'll allow but, it. <laughs> I thought it was it was very very uh, Im- impressive in that uh, uh, Verline had had been been doing very well, and I certainly expected Ocon to struggle a little bit more at the start. But uh, by the end of the year, I think Ocon is the better prospect. Chat room, you make me laugh, but I'm not going to read that out, uh, Michael. That wasn't your pick for the new driver, though, was it? Oh, I don't think I had a pick for for the uh, oh, new. Oh, well, driver. you were going to talk about Carlos Sainz uh, in <laughs> a separate to topic. He, Sainz, he's yes. he's newish though, isn't he? And he's <laughs> he's a lot of people rate him as highly as Max Verstappen, but he's really not got the props. And you have to say that frustration hasn't really leaked through. There's been no deverish behaviour from him. Uh, he's just quietly got on with it. And if you kind of read between the lines, you look at his performances and go, "Boy's doing darn well." That, absolutely. Uh, if you look at how drivers react to uh, difficult situations. Okay, obviously, when uh, Danny Kvyat, uh, when he was switched from uh, Red Bull down to the Toro Rosso team, for a while there, he completely fell apart. A little bit understandable, but what's forgotten is that Carlos Saints, he, maybe not equally, but he was certainly completely crushed that he was not the one chosen over Verstappen to move up to the Red Bull team. Well, but-, but like you said, he didn't, complain. I didn't see a lot of immature uh, actions from him. What he did do is from that race on from Spain, he had three straight points uh, finishes. Um, In fact, the next seven races, he was uh, in the points six times. 
So he answered on the track, which is what you want a driver to actually do. That's very impressive. And underrated. Matt, it has sneaked under the radar, isn't it? We were looking at a future F1 star. I think we raved about him a lot um, around Canada time, didn't we? That just as, uh, he, he convinced everyone who's doing well, then smashed into the wall of champions. But we are sort of convinced as a unit that he has a future in F1. Yeah, science definitely has what it takes. He's, he's, put in a, he's had a very good season this year. He's not let adversity wreck him mentally. And he, he just, he has, especially, and always, always, always for me, if I, if you ask me as a driver good, the first thing I'm going to say is, well, how do they do when it rains? And he's another one of these drivers who just has kind of a magic touch when it rains. He does exceedingly well when it rains. And so to me, that puts him in, puts him in with a shop. You put him on a really good team, put him on a top team. I think he would deliver for you quite nicely. Okay, now it's time for some meaningless, uninformed speculation. Okay, Matt, you set out some rules for our speculation for the driver transfer market in one particular area. We know that world champion Nico Rosberg will not be around in 2017 to defend his title, which leaves an empty space at Mercedes. So we're talking about the connotations, aren't we, of what will happen with that spare seat? Yes. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the really interesting thing is who gets to drive next to Lewis? Now, Rosberg's been put himself out to pasture, as it were. Okay, so let's look to the panel and let's have our left of right... Bleh. Let's have our left of arc, right of arc. Let's talk about a, a, an outlandish scenario that could happen, but if you, and then another scenario, if you had to put your mortgage on it, where do you, you think you would go? Do you want to kick us off, Matt? Um, yeah, sure. And I will go with possibly the most outlandish and ludicrous answer possible in that Tin hat I ready? think... Yeah, you have tinfoil on. Yeah, buckle your seatbelts. Put on your magic glasses. Drink beer. That's also good advice. Uh, well, drinking beer is, is just plain healthy for you. Unless but, you're on your commute. Well, yeah, arguable. There may be evidence against this. True. Um, I'm going to say that it's going to be Ricciardo. Wow. Really? I can't see Red Bull taking that lying down. Because Hamilton, having been treated less than fairly in his own eyes will be taking a walk to Red Bull because he thinks they're going to be better next year. And so you're going to have a swap with Ricciardo to Mercedes cool. Hamilton and Verstappen at Red Bull, no. which I think would be genius. <laughs> and then Alonso is going to make yet another bad move and go to Mercedes with Ricciardo and Ricciardo will beat him, but they'll both lose to Hamilton in the Red Bull. That's my ludicrous <laughs> The only worst move would be, wouldn't it, if Alonso would go to Renault or something like that. Uh, on the gas is saying, Matt, you're wrong again. How a driver does in the rain isn't as significant as dry performances to win the championship. Defend yourself. Botas. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we will let that argument stand for itself, and I will pretend I understand it. Blackout19 says it's time for the rumour about Alonso having a Mercedes get-out clause with McLaren to resurface. Now, that's not the rumour I heard. The rumour I heard was that he had a pre-contract with Mercedes around the time that he was falling out with Ferrari, and that didn't work out. I haven't heard about it going the other way, but that certainly is a dishy prospect, isn't it, to have Alonso back in that seat against Lewis Hamilton. That would be absolutely amazing. Uh, Michael, Michael Cords in Las Vegas, give us your left and right of arc of what's going to happen to that spare Mercedes seat. 
you're definitely on it. I would love to see Hamilton Alonso Part 2. I still think Alonso is at the top of his game. Uh, really? Challenge Hamilton. I do. Look at some of the drives he's had this year. He's yeah. fantastic. Uh, whether he can pull off uh, beating Hamilton over a full year, mm, I don't know. But it would be fireworks, and it would be fun. And uh, all of us F1 fans, we'd be all the, the, the better for it. Okay, then. But if you had to put your mortgage, your house, yes. on who's going to fill that seat, who would it be? I think they're going to play it safe. All the top drivers are tied up. I don't think they're going to make a big move and try to go for someone. So I think they're going to put in Pascal Verline. Pascal Verline, Matt, we never got your sensible decision, did we? Absolutely not. You did not. And so my most sensible of sensible decisions is they'll buy out Carlos Sainz's contract. Oh, I can't Pascal. see it. I can't see Red Bull playing but, ball with Mercedes. Not after Engine Gate. But if you want my real choice what i would really like to see is antonia felix da costa who just won macau for the second time in that other seat he's a brilliant driver he'd be incredibly cheap and he'd do a good job he's demonstrated under the most intense pressure he can deliver well obviously we follow formula e and we could probably name a handful of formula e drivers we'd like to see come back in but at the end of the day mercedes don't need cheap they, they don't. That's just not one of their considerations. Yeah, but it's not just about cheap. Winning Macau twice, that's a thing. Stephen, what's your thing? It's a really difficult one to to choose just one driver, isn't it? Mercedes come out and said, we think we don't need, we want a number one and a number two, which makes you think Verline straight away. Have they said that? They've said that they want a, a hierarchical driver lineup. That's what I think I read today on Autosport. Well, it must be true uh, then. Whatever, they're getting bought out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, what will become but, of their podcast with their production values that think they can compete with us being wrong but first? Ha! Well, let's see how you transition, boys. Matt? Yeah, I, I don't know if you want to get around to everybody first, but I, I have a, an actual piece of evidence that I can bring to this discussion. Okay, and then back to Stephen. I read in Motorsport Today, they interviewed Toto Wolf, and he outlined possible drivers they'd have, and he mentioned Botas. And he said that uh, that was the least likely choice, which makes me think right away that it's Botas who's really in the running for this. <laughs> Stephen, back to you. Yeah. Um, I also heard a story that McLaren, obviously, they're quite tight on money at the moment. So that could mean that no Alonso... Yeah is going to be bought out of his contract because it will benefit McLaren for the finance, benefit Mercedes for the driver lineup, for the Constructors' Championship as well. You want two drivers in that team that are going to take on Red Bull next year. And I think Alonso is probably the best shout. The chat room is going to get down to Labbrooks and put a fiver on Matt's theory. But Stephen, if you had to put your house, your parents' house, on who is going <laughs> to... Let, let, let's, let's raise the stakes and make your parents homeless here. Who who would you put their house on to take that second seat? Ooh. Well, there's a nice 100 to 1 shot on Antonio Giovinazzi from GP2. I don't think Current... they need to take a rookie. I don't think they need it. There's no reason for them to take that risk. There isn't, but if you're thinking long term as well, do a Red Bull sign like Max up to the to the team, and they can do that with Giovinazzi. Missed out on the GP2 championship, very um, only just in the last race. So oh. it could be a good shout long term as well. Uh, I'm so sad to see your parents out on the street, having spent so many years raising you. Ah, never mind, never mind. Neil, come on then, let's hear your theories on who's going to fill that second seat. 
right. Just for entertainment value of saying Toto and Nikki running around screaming, ah! pulling the hair, hairs out with all of the info, in, um, tension in the team, I got Alonso. The, 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 it, it just, just for the entertainment value of to see those two go nuts. Because they, <laughs> just for that. They both those drivers I think would with their swapping team mechanics, it doesn't matter who they swap, they would still just that's it, you're on my team. No no no, you're on my team. Forget Mercedes, you're both it would be chaos, and, I think. And just to, but but can you imagine the entertainment value of seeing Toto being mm. grilled by Eddie Eddie Jordan after race about you <laughs> You wouldn't stop laughing. It would be it would be TV gold. I think Alon- so, Alonso comes across very cool, calm, and collected in interviews. I bet you he is ruthless when it comes to politics. Very. I mean, imagine imagine he's having a bad race and he goes GP two engine to the Mercedes. What would happen? I know. So yeah. I, I mean, just for entertainment value, I say Alonso. Okay, but, but if you if you had to put your family's your family's house on it now, Neil, who do you think is going to end up in that second seat? Well, all right. Stephen mentioned the, the 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 Matt and Stephen mentioned the two people who I thought could be a possible possible choices. But what about Pierre Gasly? Because he doesn't have a job next year, and it doesn't look like he'll be going. So all the seats that Red Bull are basically filled. I don't see um, Mercedes going for anyone at Red Bull. They um, Toto came out today in regards to the article. Stephen mentioned that he said there's three choices. They could go for someone um, young. They could um, buy out a contract, but they're not looking to do that because everyone, that's just too much ass. And they said there's a third option. So, and then to, to, to throw more fuel on the fire, Bottas tweeted a picture earlier with uh, a track which basically has the same color scheme as Mercedes. So now he started getting everyone start thinking, oh, so he's bought us off to... Mercedes, but yeah. I don't th- see why it wouldn't be a good shot to try and go for Pierre Gasly. I mean, GP two champion, guy's a good, dr- damn good driver. Why not? Okay, so Matt, go on, and then it's my turn. You're, Who you're manages Bottas again? Help me out. Oh, it's Toto Wolf manages Bottas. Oh, is it? No really? way! Oh my goodness! Yeah, I forgot about that. Surprise! <laughs> yeah, but but you have to also remember, um, Flavio managed um, Alonso when he was at Renault, so. If anyone's going to say conflict of interest, does it really matter? Okay, my turn, my turn, my turn. Everyone shut up. My turn, my turn, my turn. So my outlandish one, the one I want to see. Yes, Alonso versus uh, Hamilton part two would be fantastic. But what what have we got? We've got on the grid a three-time world champion and a four-time world champion. That's the one we want to see. Vettel versus Hamilton head-to-head would be amazing. But it is outlandish because I think Vettel is smart enough not to do it. Vettel is smart enough to probably realise that in a straight fight, he is going to have to politic his way uh, to a victory. Uh, and he, I, don't, I don't think he's up for it. I don't get the sense he's up for that head-to-head battle with Lewis Hamilton. Lewis is out there saying, anyone, I don't care. Absolutely anyone. You agreeing, Neil? Vettel's not going to go to for, um, Mercedes with... Christian Orner said, no, nah, there's no way he's going to sign get red um, yeah. Lewis in that team because it's going to disrupt... Vettel. Yeah, and so I've, I've heard that, he's got a no Hamilton clause in his contract, although well, whether that's rumour or not. Well, that's probably rumour, but I don't see Vettel. Vettel wants a teammate that he can have a laugh with, you know, go and eat ice cream with Kimmy and whatever like that. But if you look, if you've if he's got a teammate that's very competitive, 
look at 2014 against Luciano. He basically came in and basically said, well, you're the four-time world champion. That I don't really care. I'm, com- I'm here. And if I had to put my mortgage on one, I think this is the absolute correct one, by the way. I know Matt is staking it all on Bottas. That's a good shout. I'm going to say Mercedes family, Mercedes test driver, Mercedes in DTM, Paul DeResta to take the second seat, be an out-and-out number two to Lewis Hamilton for next season in a season where Mercedes expect to have more competition from Red Bull. So that's going to be next season. You're going to have two drivers dueling at Red Bull on equal status, which is going to be fireworks. But you're going to have Mercedes with the traditional one-two driver pairing. Matt Trumpets, where can people find you on that there internet? You can find me at MattPT. 55 on the Twitters. And should you happen to be in New York City this coming Friday, do come see me at the bitter end with Midlife Tom. What you it's worth saying what you do. I mean, I call you Matt Trumpets in case that's not enough of a clue for people. You play the trumpet. Yes, I do. I'll be playing with a band at the bitter end. It, it'll be a pretty good time. And the rest of them, they are a collective hive mind. You can find them at spannersready.com, obviously. But please follow them on Twitter. They are interesting fellas. Michael, what's your handle? On Twitter, I am at Michael Cords. No underscores. That's a great shout. No underscores. Stephen. <laughs> S, at S Williams F1 on Twitter. At, say it again. At S Williams F1. No underscores as well. Where can we find you, Mr. Fortis, Mr. Neil? Well, you can find me at I'm Forcey Forty Four, or you know I'm the chief. I'm the chief. I'm I'm the king of the lunatics. King of the lunatics, and of course you can find me at SpannersReady.com along with the rest of these reprobates. You can follow me on Twitter, please at SpannersReady. Why not check out Spanners Log? And I urge you to go over to our sister Formula E podcast e-radio show they've just had a great interview with scarbs tech uh, at scarbs tech who's joined them for a second time to talk about formula e technology next week it's probably going to get emotional we're going to talk about the rosberg transfer was he right or wrong to quit f1 and also we're, we're going to get the badger gp boys on board at some point as well until next time remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever this was missed apex fighters room There you go, trumpets, you owe me a fiver. They weren't all rubbish. So, right after, and chicks dig scars? Yeah. Can we add, and spanners forgets comment of the week? We've got a stall for me to find comment of the week. Where is it? It's right here. It's blackout 19. No, no, I've got to play the jingle. All right then, Matt, let's do it. Let's find out what was. Comment of the week. And... Comment of the week is Blackout 19. Reliance on the Magic 8 Ball for pit calls didn't help. Referring to Ferrari. Should I box? Chances aren't good. Sorry, Kimmy. Comment of the week. I'm just waiting for the day that people put on their Twitter handles, you know, followed by so-and-so, followed by so-and-so, you know, one-time comment of the week winner, missed Apex podcast, two-time winner, missed Apex. That's when we'll know we've made it. Indeed. Oh, any time now. It's going to happen any time. People are saying they want a pony award as well. Okay, quickly think about it, guys. Has anyone got a pony award for the entire season? Daddy, I want a pony. 
want it now. Hands up, hands up. Who's got one? Who's got one? Vettel in Russia. Vettel in Russia. Actually, no, yeah, sorry. That has got to be Vettel in Russia because he, he obviously pressed the radio for his first pony and then he had his second pony straight away. I've got a better one. Kristen Horner's um, postcard where, <laughs> uh, where he says, how's my driving? Call Yoss. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely quality. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.